0: May 18th, 2022. I'd like to tonight uh, talk with you and develop a thought which will begin and end with our first source. It's a well-known story of the students of Rabbi Akiva. It's somewhat of a new perspective on that story. And uh, as we develop it, there'll be a point and a direction which will come to light. Now, the point and direction for me is the most significant part of the class. If I'm correct in my attribution of it to interpreting what took place at that time in the story of Ruby Akiva, it's the cherry on top. But the, the thrust of the class, so listen carefully, Ralph, the ikar the, the of the class is the development, the tafel is the interpretation of this midrash. So the midrash, it's Gemarama Sechet here in source number one, and It's a well known one. I'd like to read with you. The words of it on, in another class, I talked about it from a historical perspective. Here, we're going to talk about it from called a mahshava, Jewish thought perspective. Says the Midrash, Amru, legend has it, azar elef zugim talmidim it ad pares. Says the Gemara, there were 12,000 pairs, 24,000 students that Rabbi Akiva had. Mm-hmm. And they spanned the land from a place called Gevet until Antipares. And they all died during one time period. The Gemara later on, not on the page in front of you, says it's between Pesach and Shavuot. Why did they die during that time period, it says the Gemara, because they didn't respect, they didn't have honor for one to, from one to the other. That's the statement there in the Gemara. That's an interesting perspective. First and foremost, in this part, we won't per se answer. It's the rabbis playing from above. Uh, They're seeing it and determining this is why they died. But more than that, along the same lines, just a little bit more nuanced of a question, is that, and maybe the answer is certainly yes, maybe you'll all say absolutely, is that a determination of death? I mean, he didn't describe anything egregious per se. More than anything, he describes how they weren't honoring one another. That's death penalty, that's the way the rabbis... In other words, even if, well, let me put it like this, I'm determining, and I wouldn't, it's not it's very hard for me to do, Impossible. the death of a person, is that, is that what's... I know the severity of honoring one another, but is that really what came to mind, I and mean, they were so confident in that determination? Is there something more to that description and that vision of the hachamim in this context... As to what was wrong with regards to these students of Rabbi Akiva, that's what I'd like to at some point along the way develop and continues the Gemara. It says, literally means, and the world was desolate, it was empty. says, Rashi, what was empty about the world? I mean, there was 24,000, we'd like to imagine and know, very important students. But what does it mean it was empty? Uh, says, Rashi, The Torah was forgotten. That's an interesting perspective as well to add to our questions that is the tragedy so to speak i mean it's a tragedy in and of itself the loss of the students of course the loss of 24000 bodies and people and 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 and, and uh, human beings but the desolate uh, nature of the land that emptiness is that the Torah was forgotten. That's significant in and of itself as well. Continues the Midrash and it says, Ad until Rabbi Akiva makes his way to the rabbis in the south of Eretz Israel and he teaches them it. Says the Midrash. Not a hockey guy. I'm I'm just no, flattered. You, you're much more you. Thank you. Fantastic, fantastic. That's, right. you're the best. Uh, you you really you. The class is just for you tonight. Who were these students? Uh, these subsequent students, Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Uda, Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi El Ben Shamua. Those are the five all star students of Rabbi Akiva. And it was through them, or by means of them, that there was Ha'amadat Torah, there was the standing up of Torah at that time. That's the Gemara. So again, the two questions that I'd like to, over the course of the class, get to. Number one, laze as a death penalty, so to speak. Number two, this Olam shamim, this desolate uh, empty world, Shenishtake Hatura says Rashi. And then lastly, to point out what might be taken as an irony, but perhaps will lead us in a different direction, there's a Gemara in Masechet Sanhedrin and if I remember. In high school, being shown this Gemara, I remember the context, but it's always stood stood out in my mind. I remember we were learning a Gemara, and the Gemara had a question. Could it be that our Mishnah is against Rabbi Akiva? And the Gemara was twisting and turn back, turning itself backward in order to resolve that the Mishnah even follows the opinion of Rabbi Akiva as a young man, asking still naive questions, when I believed I could find the answer to all these sorts of matters, I raised my hands and I asked the rabbi in the class, I said so, why not? Maybe the Mishnah is not Rabbi Akiva. I said, it's a great question, but we'd imagine that the Mishnah should accord with the opinion of Rabbi Akiva. I said, why so? So he went to the class and he took a Gemara Masechet Sanhedrin and he read the following, De'amar Rabbi Hanan. Rabbi statement is as follows there are many classic rabbinical texts, we have Mishnah we have Tosefta, we'll call that Beraita we have Sifra, that's Midrash HaLachan, Vayikra. We have Sifre, that's Midrash HaLachan, Bemidbar and Devarim. Now, sometimes these texts, the Mishnah, the Beraita, mention names. Other times, they don't. If it doesn't mention a name, we call it a Setam. Setam Mishnah, Setam tosefta Who are the authors when it's written without a name? So, of course, traditionally we say the editor is Rabbi Huda Hanasi on the Mishnah. Whose opinion is he recording, though? His own? Says, uh, says Rabbi Ohanan, in Mishnah, Rabbi Meir. In Tosefta, call it Beraitot, matters which were not put into the Mishnah, Rabbi Nehemiah, Sifra, that's the Midrash HaLachan Vayikra, when there's no name in it. Who's that? Rabbi Huda. Setam Sifre, that's the Midrash HaLachan Bemidvay Devarim, Rabbi Shim'on. You'll notice, aside from Rabbi Nehemiah, we recognize all these names. They were in our five all-stars. They were in the five students that Rabbi Akiva has. Well, here we have, it says Rabbi Yochanan, and all of these, they're all really following the opinion of Rabbi Akiva. So it was a great answer when I was in high school. But now I give you the ironic twist. The ironic twist is, especially taking into account Rashi's spin on this Gemara, the forgetting of Torah by the death of those 24,000 students, not only was it, quote, remembered, but look at the corpus which was created. Look at what we have as a result of these students. Is that just some sort of uh, coincidence, some sort of ironic spin that uh, history had it, that Rabbi Akiva regrouped and he came back better than ever? Or is there some sort of direction which the Gimara is if you read it carefully and sensitively, leading us in, so to speak, there was an initial occurrence, call it a rupture, the death, the forgetting, and in turn, the rebuilding, which yes, brought us higher than before, and do you understand the direction I'm bringing you in? Because now you'll understand the class from the onset if you get that point. The point is that the initial forgetting, so to speak, was necessary, for the subsequent discovery and Ha'amadat Torah. I'd like to develop that further. What's that? Only if, Only if it was broken and hard to define what broken means. Well, what this Gemara... the first time. Did you say the break? No, okay. certainly not. But I'm telling you that's not what happened over here, number one. And number two, I'm telling you the brokenness initially is designated by our Gemara and that will be the last clue that we'll have to crack, a mystery that we'll have to solve, what's the it appears as if that's the issue. This circumstance is flawed because they're not respecting one another. That gets repaired, it appears, with these five students and they come back roaring louder than ever. It could be it's because of the teaching, that's very much possible. And uh, I, I, not only will I say it's possible, I would, I would suggest it absolutely was the reality. Something did shift. And I'm, I'm suggesting furthermore that it began specifically, and it might seem ironically, but maybe not so, because of that shechicha. Well, I'll bring you further on this thought. The Gemara Mas'achat Eruvim famously has two statements here in Dafnundel and in source number four. First statement is being Doresh, the Pesukim, both of them really are being Doresh, these Pesukim, Harut al Haluchot, that the Luchot, the first ones, were chiseled by God. Harut means chiseled. Now you can read that word Harut as Harut, chiseled, or I'll Alternatively, the Torah doesn't have nekudot. The rabbis are able to imagine it differently. Herut, there was a certain freedom. Uh, so the second interpretation here in the Gemara is the freedom that was brought forth by the luchot was freedom from forgetfulness. If we had the first luchot il malen ishtaberu, luchot had the luchot not been shattered, we never would have forgotten any Torah. Fascinating statement. Whether to be taken literally or not, not my issue. My issue is, however, to understand the the, the statement. To understand it with its all of its profundity. The statement is, the first Luchot brought forth an absolute remembering. The first statement here is, had we not had the destruction of the first Luchot, excuse me, that was the first one. The second one is that we would have not been ever governed by a foreign body. We would have had a full-fledged freedom. So there's two statements here in the Gemara. Freedom from forgetfulness, freedom from subservience. That's the statement in the Gemara. If you contextualize that a little bit, subservience Yes. Uh, being able to maintain a connectedness to information that's very indicative of the outcome of eating from etzadat, was it not? In other words, when we envision a pre-etzadat existence, so there's no subservience, there's no being dependent upon another. It's only after eating from it, says the, as the Torah, now we have this life of, we call it all the time, process. The Gemara, in fact, in Masechet Shabbat says that at the time of the giving of the Torah, Paska that poison, that filth of the snake, of the serpent, of Nahash, ceased. You need to read it in tandem with this, Gemara. This is a state, a period in time during which we literally returned, and I don't mean it physically. I don't even know if I mean it literally in the full sense, but I do mean it existentially. We as a people returned to a connectedness to truth, a perception of God that was precedented back at... It's a haim land, when we were living in the Gan, before eating from etzadat. That's the statement in the Gemara. We would therefore, perhaps, I would suggest that our first Luchot period was the greatest time period. I know it wasn't all that long, 40 days or so, but what a period. Amazing thing, we were really connected, we were tapped in. We were living in Gan Eden while in the Midbar, so to speak. In fact, the Gemara in several places furthers this point. The Gemara Masechet Nidarima daflamid hait amud alif has the following derasha that the pasuk says, The and the pasuk notwithstanding, the statement is that Moshe had difficulty maintaining and retaining the Torah. For 40 days and 40 nights, he's studying with Olam He has difficulty remembering it. He was studying and forgetting, studying and forgetting until God gives it to him as a present, which seems to describe to us again that the Torah. I was given with this first Luhot without the tendency and the proclivity to forget. That's the statement again. The Midrash HaGadol and Parashat in Parashat Kiti San source number six. Why were the Luhot given at all? Why give stone tablets? Why not just give Torah as, I don't know, Torah Shbalpeh or put on parchment to tell you that the Torah should be written on our heart to the extent that it's not for God and it's stuck with us. It's kotvema Maluach So again, I repeat to you, what a time period. I only now, as I'm thinking about it together with you, I'm feeling bad that Moshe ever cr- crashed, shattered those Luchot. That was tragic. We should have not only Chabah, we should have... That there was a period, in other words, did he not have to deliver it in order for this to come into Okay. He never Interesting question, uh, and, and you're probably right. Eddie says, we never even had this period. He needed to bring the Luchot and set it forth for some reason or another, and I guess you know, I can't prove it. I always envisioned it as, in the moments in the rendezvous of Aseret of, HaDibberot, uh, of Ma'amad Har Sinai, it, so to speak, is injected into them, even though we read a Midrash, which is different in a moment, and as a result, they were in that state of euphoria, whatever, they were in that elevated state, but very possibly, uh, they never had this. I will point out that in just 16 days or so from now we will be commemorating a holiday. It's the holiday of the giving of the Torah. Perhaps it's the holiday of the shattering of the luchot, of the loss of the Torah. Mm -hmm. Effectively, it's the loss of the Torah. That's what we're celebrating. Is that the close of the Torah as well? Explain. That's what it says. In the, uh, before the eyes of all the what was it that, that? That was the most wondrous thing. Is when we, I think it's Rashi who says that when he shouted the book. Ah, oh, oh, That's what he said. Kol Yisrael, the last pasuk in the Torah says Rashi, what was the greatness? Oh, that's what he said. The clothes, C L O S E. I thought he said clothes, which always gets me excited. But um, he said the clothes. The last pasuk in the Torah, Le'enekol Yisrael. You imagine we're ending on a bang, on a high note about Moshe Rabbeinu. What was his greatness? What he do? Lecholhayata hazaka with his strong. In the eyes of the people, he shattered the luchot. Seriously, you, you blew it. I was, I was, I was leading up to this moment. It's okay. And, uh, along the same lines, now this is a good one. The Gemara Masechet Shabbat, and Daf Pezayin, and source number seven. Uh, the pasuk says, "Asher shibarta," and the Derashah, the rabbi says, she shibarta." You should be strengthened, Moshe, that you shattered the luchos. God is praising him, praising him. The last words in the Torah, according to Rashi, according to the rabbis, that's the greatness of Moshe. His praise is that he shattered these Luchot. I thought, at the very least, with the giving of the Luchot, the reception of the Luchot, we were going to have the greatest opportunity to connect to God on the highest level in an almost unprecedented way. We were going to return to the God. That's what we're happy about. So we return again at this juncture to this reality, this circumstance of forgetfulness. And we realize again that this ironic twist, somehow when we look at forgetfulness, which we'd imagine is tragic, it's the deaths of those students, can and perhaps should be seen in some sort of positive light. The words of Zohar in source number eight, in Zohar's eyes, I once saw this in Gaon Mivilna, I couldn't find it as I was preparing, that the first luchot are representative of etah hayim and the second of Etzahayim. Oh, that's an interesting perspective. First luchot, etah Hayim, we mentioned all the realities. That's being in the Gan. Second luchot is real life, forgetfulness, subservience and so forth, but a direction nonetheless. Again, but there's a positive side to just having those second luchot? There's a positive side to this life of process? Wouldn't we want to be attached to the source? The Gemara Masecher Berachot and records the well-known uh, the legend, the well-known Masoret, tradition of the rabbis is that the Aaron housed not only the Luchot but the Shivrei Luchot as well not only the second Luchot but the first ones which were shattered as well it's so to speak envisioning the shattering of those first Luchot as something we want to retain not in their full state but in their shattered state what is it? What is the mystery of this forgotten Torah and the reality that we have of a forgotten Torah? The Midrash I was mentioning earlier only furthers it. The Midrash in Shir Hashirim envisions that after HaKadosh Baruch Hu begins giving us the Aset after he begins his speech to the people at that time, Ma'amad HaSinai, they stop him by turning to Moshe, begging him, you speak to us. That's in the Torah. We find that somewhat explicit in the Torah. At some juncture they did so. The Midrash says they were nervous because they couldn't forget anything those are the words of the Midrash the Pesukim in the Torah which the Midrash cites is that they were nervous they were going to die hearing the words of God the Midrash says and they were very disturbed by the fact that they couldn't forget that's something to be disturbed by how fantastic to not forget means I'm attached to the source when I forget it means my mind is off it that's what they were nervous about And after, of course, they regret it in some way or fashion, Moshev describes them, says the Midrash, this is your way of life. I think it comes to a crux and we, we, we begin to understand the, the perspective of the Hachamim, and the direction of the class takes full form in the well-known Gemara Masechet Timura here in source number 11 on Daf Zayin Amudav. We cited this earlier in the year in that class on uh, the source and origin or the nature and origin of sin. Uh, the Gemara describes how it's a Midrash. At, at the time, when Moshe is about to uh, ascend the mountain and see his last moments in this world, he turns to Yahshua and asks him, do you have any questions for me, any issues? any safik any doubt please ask me and Yahushua says to him do you know what the Torah says about me of course we're supposed to read that with a smile that anachronistic statement I mean does had he seen the Torah? Maybe he had seen the Torah. Actually, Moshe's finished. So, Torah is fully deaf. Do you know the Torah says that I'm a Na'ar who never leaves the Ohil? I'm always there? I know it all. Miyad, says the Gemara, were forgotten from Yahushua, thousands of halachot. And everyone was angry at Yahushua and they wanted to kill him. They were all nervous. Now we lost the halachot, says the Gemara, it took time. But Otniel ben Knaz, much later, was hechaziran b'pilpulo. He was able to capitalize on the specific lacuna, that loss of information, and find through his own mind, his own instruments, his own vehicles, his own relative understandings, those a, path, a passageway, a pathway, to those same halachot which were forgotten. Do you understand the point? The point goes as follows. The Torah could just like any other body of information or reality of truth in life, becomes stale and static. It can become broken. When we envision it only and when we see it specifically as only that instrument given to us by God, but not as an instrument, rather as an entity, as the Moshe's mouthpiece, as we talked about it a week or two ago, of God, that's not something I can now relate to. That's something which, as Yehoshua said, I don't have any questions. How could I have a question? I just heard it from God. Uh, we ask then, any relevancy to you then? If there's no questions, are you really applying this? Are you really developing this? Does this have a life that's relevant to you, this information, this way of life, this entity called Torah, or has it become something that when you look at it and think about it, it's just stuck in time. That's the circumstance. The forgetfulness then, as Resh Lakish's famous statement is, pe'amim, sometimes bitula, the annulment of it is, zehu kiyuma, that is the way in which you uphold it, you build it up. I think I I don't know about you, certainly for me in my own life, I've been exposed to brilliant people, many brilliant people. I've listened to them for long periods of time. I've experienced and realized that specifically when I step out of their presence, my own creative capacity has grown. When I'm in their presence, it's difficult for my mind to work in an independent way because I'm hearing their words. I can only see it through their eyes. I can't get out of that. Does that mean that what I'm suggesting, I'm certainly not as brilliant to them, is false? Certainly not. It's, it's, it's generally speaking, a lot more relevant to me. It's the difference between, in our eyes as well, it's a Haim life and it's a daat life. It's a hayim life. How could you want out of that life? How could you want away from first Luchot? The answer is very difficult, but... A certain static, stagnant way of life and understanding is, is born through that. There's, there's a loss of vibrancy. You need the forgotten. You need the reality of this information receding a bit, not losing it entirely. I know Ralph will get very angry. Are you arguing then that Otniel Ben Knaz was being mechadesh halachot, which were not? No, but he is finding a direction in them that's relevant to the people of his time. It's with his own people. The way we think today is not the way people thought of 200 years ago. If we were stuck in the mind of the people 200 years ago and the world around us and our own lives doesn't match that way, Torah would not be relevant to us. The fact that, quote-unquote, there's been that forgetfulness amongst our people, that we've had ruptures over time, has in turn impacted us positively. Uh, just a, a, a day or two ago, someone asked me, so in what circumstances, because we haven't even finished the class, someone asked me, so we, have we experienced this in our own life? Have there been quote-unquote ruptures, that forgetfulness, which in turn has inspired us in different directions? So I have one or two perspectives immediately. I had immediately, I've thought about it even more, I have even more, but I'll mention the two that I said then. First and foremost, religious Zionism. Religious Zionism was only as a result of quote-unquote forgetfulness. If, and it's hard to conceive of this, you lived 100, 150 years ago, the idea of religious Zionism was almost heretical. It was anti-religious. You're seriously arguing, contemplating, settling the land? When Mashiach is not here, it was inconceivable. We didn't think like that. You're pushing forward? Yes, we knew the Gemara. We knew it all, but we were very apprehensive. It's not to say that there was no one, but a, a large movement of religious Jews? There's a reason the state of Israel began with secularists, because it was hard to think differently. It's not necessarily forgetfulness. It's the dying of the older generation. We're calling that forgetfulness. Yes, because sometimes, Ralph, the last generation dies away, but their thought and way continues. Go no further than the parade on Sunday and look at the men standing on the side who are more traditional than me and you. They're stuck in the old generation. And you and I, I don't know if you'll be there, will look at them and say, they're so out of touch with reality. They haven't forgotten. They're stuck in that. After the women's education. I was, uh, the, the Beis Yaakovs, don't go as far as, I don't know, any other institution. Beis Yaakov's was unprecedented mm-hmm. until 120 years ago. It was inconceivable that women should be literate. Why should they be literate? And as the world advanced, we needed to, quote, forget. You call it next generation. That's what I mean by forgetting. That's it. So that in turn... But there's a certain no, oh, there is. There's a certain forgetfulness because when something, uh, we're not arguing per se that those realities were not true to them then. If women's status in the world, if the world of Jewry was such that Zionism was inappropriate based on circumstances, based on women's circumstances, and so forth. In that time period, it was heretical. We did need to forget the methodology and the mindset of those people in order to be through Torah, with Torah, relevant to today. If we were or are too stuck in that past, without being able to see it differently, so then we lose the ability to grow with it. The Torah loses its life. I remember reading the book... I quote it from time to time of, Rabbi, uh, of, excuse me, of Professor Yosef Chaim Shalmi. At the end of the book, he describes from some Russian uh, poet and author, and uh, he tells a funny story. Uh, I'm not going to get into the details, but effectively it's a person who, a childhood uh, traumatic experience, affects the brain that they can't forget anything to the extent that they can't take walks outside. Because walks outside conjure up, every time they see something, thousands of memories and they can't see past them. The trauma, the rigidness, the rigidity, the, uh, the, 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 the stagnancy is, is, is all there because they can't forget. The health then of forgetting, of growing, is so true. Now that's not to say, yeah, of course we are, he just doesn't like my wording. He just doesn't like my wording, but I. But look at the word, you know. Right. I will. Zikaron is one and the same, Ralph. Zikaron is one and the same. That is it. You cannot and will not progress without a healthy forgetfulness. Now, I will add one more thing before we go forward in our sources. It's bears mention with the same Yosef Chaim Yerushalmi. There's a postscript to his book. And recently, a few months ago, they published some interviews with him. And he walks back the strength of his book, which was called Zachor. He walks it back a little bit, and the reason he walks it back a little bit is he's speaking in one or two of these circumstances at, uh, at, at these um, uh, these symposiums in which they're discussing the concept that underlies his book, and understood to its extreme extent... That is postmodernism to its most extreme extent, which means to say you've lost any concept of truth. If everything can and should be forgotten, then I have no value system, no barometer from which, within which, and I'd structure my life. He walks it back, he says, I never meant it to that extent. He says in there that zikaron is what Torah is about, memory, but memory is staunch in a reality. It just has a way of burgeoning along and within a certain structure and trajectory. Anyway, that being the case, I'd like to bring this forward together with you with regards to where I see this in the eyes of the Hachamim and their vision of Jewish history through this prism of forgetfulness or growth. Or vibrancy. The Gemara Torayot and This, over the course of the next few sources, thirteen through sixteen, I think there's a, I think there's a latent uh, um, message along these lines. The Gemara Torayot compares Yosef and Rabbah two of the Emoraim, well-known two approaches to limud. Yosef says the Gemara was Sinai, translated loosely as encyclopedic knowledge. That's the way he was. He was the person you turned to for a mare makom. What does the Torah say about this? What this rab? Said, that's, that was his personality Sinai, listen to the name Sinai, that's how they described him so to speak he was the body of knowledge but he was the Sinai keep, the, keep that in mind Rabbah was the Oker Harim Rabbah was the one who knew how to the mountains meaning he was sharp in his perception he knew how to use one source and interpret it another way he could uproot the mountain of Sinai says the Gemara which one's greater answers the Gemara it appears there's debate about this about how to interpret the Gemara and so forth says the Gemara Sinai why Sinai without the goods You can't then uproot mountains. Effectively, that's what the Gemara says. Now, there is an interesting history about this Rav Yosef, our Sinai man. The Gemara Masechet Bava Metziah first on Dav Pehe Amud Aleph describes how Rav Yosef fasted several times in his life in order to retain Torah. He fasts an initial 40 days, says the Gemara, and he has a dream in which they read him. to him, Torah should not be lost from your mouth. He fasts another 40 days, and he hears then mipicha It's from you and from your descendants, Torah will always be a part. He fasts another 40 days, excuse me, another 100 days, and he hears the whole Pasuk, mipicha Torah will be with you for Many many generations says Rav Yosef, chalas. now that I got it more than one generation down the line, I know now the Torah will stay with me. Listen to who's doing those fasts. Listen to who we're dealing with. Rav Yosef, who prides himself with the Gemara, prides him as the Sinai, the one who bears all memory. He's fasting for it. It's read to him in his dream. He hears it. He knows it. I'm going to have this with me forever. And yet... Or before the yet, the Gemara in Masicha ben Achtan daf 34 has the same pasuk we dealt with. Asher shibarta. Remember Asher shibarta, Moshe, the, the tablets which he shattered. V'samtam ba'Aron says the pasuk in Parashat Kitisa, Take those and put them in the in the Aaron. Says the Gemara, but not the Gemara this time. Tanerav Yosef. Says Rav Yosef, and I do not know at what point in his life, because we haven't figured out the biological importance yet, he said this, it's either a tragic uh, Ruach HaKodesh, so to speak, he's predicting what's to come, there's almost this ironic, tragic statement, or alternatively, it's afterwards, but listen to his statement, then we'll talk about it. I don't mean Ruach HaKodesh in the spiritual side, I mean, he's, Nibav Yadama niba. Says the Gemara, Rav Yosef said you should respect the elderly, who forgot their Torah. After all, the Aaron had not only the full luchot, the memory luchot, but the shattered ones as well. Why am I mentioning all this? Just because he had a good memory? No, to tell you the tragic, but perhaps very relevant, consequence and reality in the life of Rav Yosef, the Gemaraimaseche Nedarim and Mem Aleph, Amud Aleph tells us how Rav Yosef, at a certain point in his life, forgot it all. And Abaye, his student, would consistently and constantly remind him. Says the Gemara, that's why in the, in the Gemara, you'll find in several places, Rav Yosef says, I don't know. And Abaye says, you do know, you taught it to us. And he reminds him, listen to what the Gemara, if you piece these four statements together, it's Rav Yosef who embodies, who symbolizes Sinai. He's the body of information. He's the one who speaks about the importance of retaining Torah, of remembering it, and he's the same one who forgets it. It's almost as if a Sinai package, the destiny of Sinai is not only to remember, but to be forgotten and then quote, remembered thereafter, to be brought to a different level, to be made relevant to the generation after. That's the Rav Yosef, the Sinai, the one who knew it all, had to forget and have the next generation, his student Abaye, reminding him. The Gemara Masechet Sukkah, bringing this thought, this direction forward, Daf Davkaf Amud Aleph describes how there were several forgetfulnesses. These are the Lashonot Lashon, of the Gemara, Ralph, so you know, as much as you don't like it, it's the Gemara I'm using here. The Gemara says that initially the Torah was forgotten from Yisrael. Okay, define accordingly. Says the Gemara until Izra came from Bavil and he reestablished Yisada. He reestablished it. Then the Torah was forgotten again until Hillel makes his way up and he's yes It's forgotten again until Rabihiyah makes his way in and he reestablishes it. There's fascinating things to be realized over here. Because if you're following at home or here and understanding what I'm describing by the forgetfulness and the subsequent, quote, establishment, it's that the next establishment makes it relevant. It brings it up to the period of time and the, the circumstance and society of the people then. What happened from Moshe I would suggest the following. I've said this in a different class, but it's very relevant to hear right now. The Torah, at the end of the Torah, in source number 18, describes this mitzvah of hakel. Every seven years you were to gather the entire nation and read to them from the Torah. And there's important words in the Torah that describe this mitzvah. It was to be read to them, to men, women, children, converts alike. Now you have to put yourself for a moment several hundred, thousand years ago, and understand that women, converts, and children didn't understand all that much. I'll go a step further. Having the entirety of Am Yisrael there in one location and speaking to them, I don't care how loud your voice is, they're not hearing you. So what were you affecting through this mitzvah of Hakil? You're not teaching them Torah, are you? And says Haram Bam, not only were the lower level people, they're the highest, the greatest, Talmud, HaChamim were there as well. So what was the purpose of Hakil? This enactment, one of the last mitzvot in the Torah of what was the purpose of this? Says Harambam Bam in source number 19 in the Chot Hagigah at the very end. He says it was in order to establish Dat in it. It was in order to bring forth truthfulness of law, to instill Yerat Hashem to bring the people back to the moment of Ma'amad Har Sinai. You were there, surrounded by throngs, thousands of people, and you're hearing or noticing that the Torah is being read. I always envision it as the Saturday night night classes of Chacham Vada Yosef that I had the the honor of going to for many years. I went to these classes. I was a yeshiva boy. His shi'urim, it was teaching to lay people. They were simple halachot. They were entertaining, but it was simple halachot. I went less if not at all, for the information that he imparted. Then I had his books, I was able to read them and understand them, but for the experience. You went, you were surrounded by hundreds of svaradim. For me, coming from an Ashkenazi yeshiva, it was a new experience every Saturday night. I felt pride in being svaradi. You walk through the streets of Shekunat Bukharim. I remember once talking about this, Mordechai Salem was there, and he was, he was nodding and excited because he, he lived there. And says Yazdim you know, was down the block, or a few blocks away from where he lived, and you, really, you felt it, the lights were bright, Right on a Saturday night when everybody was off the streets or somewhere else, the music was blaring as he got closer. There was an experiential dimension which was unparalleled, at least in my life, every single Saturday night. That was supposed to be Akeel. Akeel was supposed to be this experience to the extent that, as Hanam Bam in explaining the Torah, as Rabbeinu Sa'ad Yagon in his commentary points out, the converts didn't speak Hebrew, but you're reading to them in Hebrew. Why so? Again, the purpose was not per se for information, for understanding, but for experience. Ezra <speaking in Hebrew> comes along several hundred years later, makes his way during the time of establishment of second Beit Miktash, and he has a revolution. He's bringing halakha back to the people. He has Anshei Knesset which follows thereafter. He's making certain that there's stricture and structure for the people, and in doing so, the Sefer Nehenia describes an occurrence. He gathered all the people. Similar words to this mitzvah of HaKel. He gathers them together. He's not in an a esoteric place. He's bit of ha'ir. He's, in, he's in the, at the opening to the city where everyone's accessible. Everyone could be there. And he's not just speaking to men, women, children, and saying words. He's three times, four times in the text, making certain that they are mivinim, their understanding. Ezra starts education. Moshe begins Torah for us at a time during which inspiration instilled in our heart. Connectedness to God was the name of the game. Ezra brings forth an educational system which imparts intellect, understanding. The last pasuk is so telling. The people understood. He instilled within the Torah a certain method of understanding. To the extent that the Gemara says Gimal Gimel understands from this pasuk that Ibn Ezra brings forth a Targum, a translation to the Torah. Ezra brings forth the a Ta'amim, attuned to the Torah. What are the Ta'amim and the Targum, the translation, if not? A oh, way that we now understand it. You listen to the tune, and melody of the Torah, you understand it better. You understand how to, uh, what this pasuk, how it's supposed to be read, where you stop, where you go. How And uh, I understand this word, what it's connected to. The translation, of course, is critical for that. That's the Ezra generation. You needed, quote-unquote, the ha the forgetfulness of the Moshe generation. In order to now bring this forward to the new generation, to the extent that Harambam following the Mishnah and Masechet Bava Kama, describes how, whereas in the time of Moshe there were three Pisukim that were read during the week, in the time of Ezra there were ten Pisukim read. Three Pesukim suggests Rabbi Salvechik, based on the Gemara, is to make certain, and Harambam says this, that the people don't go three days without Torah. What are three Pesukim? I know me you could build mounds and mounds of understanding and chidushim from three pesukim. But effectively, three chidushim is when you sit at the table and you say, we need to say a dvar Torah. You said three pesukim, chalas, we said Torah. Ten pesukim is a corpus of law. Ten pesukim is a story. Ten pesukim is something substantial where we're talking about information. That's the Ezra revolution. That is the shechecha from the time of Moshe. And the way we now bring it forward during the time of Isra specifically and only because we were able to move past that earlier generation's vision of Torah. I'll bring you a little bit further in this. Two Midrashim and the Gemara, and then in Kohelet Raba, the Gemara Masech Bava Metziah, right there on Daf describes how when Rebizera left from Babel to go up to Eretz Yisrael, he fasted as well. He fasted not like Rav Yosef in order to remember the Torah, in order to retain it, but in order to, you guessed it, forget it. He's going to Eretz Yisrael. He doesn't want any of this confusing Babylonian Torah any longer. He wants a new Torah. He wants to not be tarud. He wants a new vision to forget sometimes. Bitula, Zohi Kiyuma, the Midrash in Kohelet Rabbah records a mahloket between Emoraim about whether forgetfulness. New, day, true, true, you're right. It's a microcosm of sorts. It's not a new generation, it's a new generation in his own life. The Midrash in Kohelet Rabbah has. He is stuck, he will be stagnated. The Midrash has here in Kohelet Rabbah source number 25 a debate about whether forgetfulness of Torah is positive or negative. Initially it's negative. Of course, why would I want to forget it? Alternatively, the counter perspective is there's a positivity to it. Can you imagine along these lines, not negating what we're saying, but a different dimension, remembering everything you studied? Three years, says the Midrash. I'd imagine it's a little bit more. It'll take a little bit of time. You'll learn it all and you know it all. As a result... Well, if I know it all, what am I doing any longer? I'll just go spend the rest of my life without thinking about it. It might be a part of me, but it's not relevant to my life any longer. I'll go and dedicate all my mind and efforts to, says the Midrash Melacha. What happened to the Torah perspective? The forgetfulness of the Torah is a prerequisite to a life which is lived through and with Torah. I bring... Go ahead. I question? Was, to say, the Torah that was, with, was the Torah of Bahu, which is more processed and he was going to the Torah, you saying the Sinai Torah was... Interesting, which is, which is, interesting, which, which seems sharp. to be going backwards. You're saying it yeah, seems yeah, to be yeah, going backwards. Going back to the whole. Yeah, I mean, he's he's returning, yeah, so yeah. to speak, to source in that respect, to uh, understood, If if, if you take it in that direction. All right. I, understood, understood. It's the no, Torah... Torah. Right. So yeah. Ralph is Ralph is just, Ralph is just pay, paying attention to the coordinates of Bavel yeah. yeah, That's right. Understood. That is correct. So so now to, to, to portray that because it's critical for our next for our next stage. No, but that's the point. That's, that's very important. And and in other words. Uh, ju- just to get to that point in this context because it's 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 appropriate for the next stage over here the difference between, call it an Eretz Yisrael Torah historically, and the Bavel Torah historically, is the difference between as you're describing it a bottom down, excuse me, a bottom up or a top down a top down means that I'm so to speak looking at it that's the tahadzeh, come and look at Torah of Israel. it's there, it's up there, uh, my understanding is only going to make it somehow applicable to me, alternatively I'm crafting it it and pushing it upward. That's the difference to a certain extent with regards to what we're discussing between the earlier generation, it's just there, and it's now channeling down to me, or alternatively, I'm crafting this myself. So I bring you to the storyline of Rabi Eliezer, Hurkanus, the Mishnan Perkei Avot and uh, Mishnah describes how Rabban Yohanan ben Zakkai had several students, five, you know, just like Rabbi Akiva at the end of his life, right? Five students. Said so These five students, each one of them, Rabi, Rabban Yohanan ben Zakkai talked about. and He gave a way of describing the, the defining characteristic of each. And he mm-hmm. described furthermore how if you were to put four on one side of the scale and Rabbi Elieze El- El- ben Hurkanus on the other side, he would tip the scale to his direction. In other words, we put a lot on the Rabbi Eliezer. Rabbi Eliezer had something special to him. What was so special about him? Says the, Midra, says the, the Mishnah that Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai said about Rabbi Eliezer, he was a borsid, or maybe a borsud, she'enom abed He was like a well, which was coated with um, plaster. It never lost a drop of water. In other words, Rabbi Eliezer remembered it all. He was able to retain. His memory was second to none. Look, for example, at what al Azab ben Arach was, the last one on the list. Ma'ayana mitgaber. Ma'ayana mitgaber is a flowing, rushing spring. Now, a flowing, rushing spring, of course, is new water which is rushing out. But the contrast to the bor seed, which is static and st- stagnant, is there. One has this rushing water, so to speak, the chidushim, the new relevancies, the other one is able to maintain, to retain it. The Gemara, along these lines in Massechitzukhan, the describes how beforehand, on, uh, excuse me, The Mishnah says that Rabbi Yohanan ben Zakkai thought not better per se, but the importance of it would the Eze ben Horkanus was greater. It's so to speak the Sinai versus the Oker Harim. It's no new. It's it's not something new to us per se. Then Gemara Masechet Sukah, first on Kafzaina Amud Bet, and then at the top of Kavhet Amut has of course, of course. This this class grew out of those the, that conversation very much directly, even though I'm not cross referencing it all that uh, seriously over the course of this class. But indeed, says uh, says, says uh, Ralph at this juncture. He says it's reminiscent of I talked last week about how Moshe Rabbeinu could not and would not be the leader who could bring the people into the Eretz Israel. Why not? Because he was that mouthpiece of God. He was the top down. You needed now the next generation to be building it upward after the forgetfulness, the loss of the Moshe. You needed to, so to speak, kill the messenger. All right, all right, all right. You're going back to that again? The Gemara has talking about himself, talking about himself and saying, and it's an amazing statement, regardless of how you take it, that he never said something that he didn't hear in the name of his rabbi, or didn't hear from his rabbi. His rabbi is Rabbi Yohanan ben Zakkai, as we said, and when he was asked questions, the Midrash says, he he was asked 30 questions at one point on the holiday. On 12 of them, he said, I heard. On 18, he said, I didn't hear. Or alternatively, the other version of the Gemara. On 18, he said, I heard. 12, he said, I didn't hear. So the people the people asking the questions say, wait a second. All your words are mi piya Only things you say are things you've heard. You can't think a little independently. And he says, you should know something about me. I've never said anything I haven't heard. It's an amazing statement of Rabbi but it's very much in line with the Rebili Ezer we're getting to know. The Rebili Ezer we're getting to know is the Borsit. He's the one who collects it. He's not the one who rushes it out and reformulates it and crafts it for his generation. He has no forgetfulness. To the extent that it should take you, it should be no surprise to you that the well-known story of Maseche Bava of Tanur Shel Achnai. The details of which not relevant to us right now, other than there's a debate, a dispute between the Bili Ezer, our man, and the Chachamim, about whether a specific oven is susceptible to Tum'ah, is Tameh or is Tahor. Bili Ezer, Tahor, Chachamim, Tameh, majority, Chachamim, minority, Bili Ezer. Bili Ezer. says, I'll prove to you that I'm right. And he begins to, from nature, prove that he's right. This tree will be uprooted, and it is. I'm right. This river will flow backwards, and it does. I'm right. The wall from the Midrash will be falling down. I'm right, until Yoshua stops it. The heavenly voice, a bat kol, will emanate from the heavens and declare and proclaim that I'm right, and so it is. A bat kol comes forth and says, At which point we'd imagine everyone will stop in their tracks and say, You win. It's over. TKO. Instead, Rabbi Yoshua, Ahmad al and says, Torah is not determined top down. Torah is not in the heavens. It's going to be determined based on us we're going to have a majority ruling. And therefore, Rabbi you're a danger to our society. We will excommunicate you because your methodology, your approach to Torah will keep us caught in the past. It'll stagnate it. Yes? Is, why does the Torah frown so much on being put in front of the Ra? Why, why am I obligated to death if I come up with Chorah in front of my rab, when well, we're saying, hey, no, Forget get the past, let's move forward. First and foremost, the Gemara talks about if you request permission, then it's different. That's okay, number not one. Not sure. Number two, that has to do with a personality trait in which you're showing a certain haughtiness. It's not that you're not allowed to determine law if you're in the presence of your rabbi. It's that if you're doing in the presence of your rabbi, you're showing and portraying a certain self-centeredness that instead of turning to him, I'll determine this for you. Nothing more and nothing less in my mind, but our Bili Ezer is the individual who has the Torah and the Shemaim. The Gemara Masechet Sanhedrin, and the Hayat learned it on Friday this past week with the Gemara class in the morning, describes how, I miss you, Adichow, describes how at the end of Rabbi life, I had to throw that in, mm-hmm. As at the end of Rabi his life, as he's preparing for death, he puts his arms and his hands over his heart, and he envisions it says the Gemara, as if it's a scroll of Torah which is being closed up. His Torah, he says to his students, who hadn't been with him for some time, of course, he was excommunicated, and he says to them, where you been? And they say, we didn't have time. He says, you didn't have time. So what are you doing here now? What is this about? And he has all sorts of terrible things that he tells them about, how they'll die terrible deaths, be akiva, you'll be worse than the rest, you had the ability to be studying with me, and you didn't, and then, says the Gemara, he exclaims, I had so much Torah to teach, but my students couldn't and wouldn't take it from me. And so you're reading the Gemara and you might be sad and you should be sad. But in the scheme of things, perhaps there's a nod, there's almost a wink of the eye from the Ba'aleha Gemara at this moment in which you realize that personality of Rabbi Li'ezer had we learned too much from him. We would have been too stuck with him. We would have been in the generation of Moshe still. We would have been in the heavens. For, for that reason, Bili Ezer, according to some, according to Talmud, Yerushalmi, is known as Shamuti. Shamuti, he was like Bet Shamai, he was in the heavens. He had Bashamaimi. But Torah then would lose its relevancy if every time we needed the law we had a heavenly voice which declared how and what to do. The Midrash in Shira Shirim Rabbah has how Rabbi Yehoshua came into the Midrash of Rabbi Li'ezer, sees the stone which Rabbi Li'ezer would sit on and give his class. And Rabbi Yehoshua said, you know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of Ma'amad Har Sinai, the person who sat on... On this, on this even, this stone upon which Rabbeel would sit, it's like Har Sinai. And the one who sat on it was like Aaron Haberit. That's Rabbeel Yezer. Rabbeel would constantly, in a quote, inappropriate way, bring us back to Sinai. He would be the Sinai of Rav Yosef before the forgetfulness of the Torah. The way of Rabbi Eliezer would get us stuck in the heavens instead of looking at the land. He would have us thinking constantly about God's vision of it instead of thinking about our vision of it. Zohar, along those same lines, has Rabbi Eliezer's life being one in which on a constant basis, every time he spoke, the halacha would be me'ira, it would shine forth like the day it was given on Sinai. You look at it, you read it, and you should smile, but then you should catch yourself. Are we really living on Sinai? Should we really be living on Sinai? Perhaps instead that forgetfulness was not just a tragic circumstance, but a necessary consequence. It was a circumstance which we needed a long time and we need in order to progress in keeping Torah relevant and vibrant within our lives. I'll conclude therefore, before we bring it back to our initial Midrash, with the words in Masechet, I hate to keep saying it, but another well-known Gemara. The Gemara says how for several years, Bet Shammai and Beit disagreed with one another. At the, Halalu Omrim, that one group said, is Kamotenu, the other group said, is Kamotenu. Each one of them has the stakes, has the claim. We have the halakha. Halakha is like us, a heavenly voice ironically comes out from the heavens and says, Elova elu they're both the words of the living God. Amazingly and paradoxically. However, halakha halacha halakha kebeti leil. if they're both true, if they're both the words of the living God, how could Halacha be like Betilel? Explains the Gemara I'll tell you why. Prashin Nohim. Because they're pleasant. Ve'aluvim. And they get embarrassed. You know who gets embarrassed? People who look at people around them. V'Shonim divrehim ve'divre And they would teach their words at the same time that they taught Beit Shammai's words. Not only that, says the Gemara, they would precede the words of Beit Shammai to their own. You understand who betilel were? Betilel were the ones, in the words of, of Ralph earlier, who built bottom-up who looked at the people around them as they determined halacha? who weren't just looking at the heavens for determination of truth, but looking at the world of Tov and Ra, the world outside of the Gan, the world of the second mulchot in determining halacha? I bring you back to our initial Midrash, the story of Rabbi Akiva's students. And I'll remind you the difficulties we had when we read it. First and foremost... The Hayah onam shamim, that desolate, empty nature of the world after the loss of those 24,000 students, says Rashid, the loss, the forgetfulness of Torah. And we were and should be a little depressed by that, maybe a lot depressed by that. But then we had and we said, how ironic, the five students Ribi Akiva turns to afterwards, and him, him, he, imidu, t-o, Torah, o Torah otasha, they uphold the Torah to the extent that the burgeoning body of Torah shibalpe is from those students of Rabbi Akiva, not a, not a coincidence, not some sort of ironic spin, it had to be like that, rupture in our own lives and generations, is the necessary component in the life of growth. We'd be stuck in the past if not. And I tell you, therefore, that perhaps that was why the rabbis describe how those students were lost you know what that means? They weren't looking at the other person as they were determining law, as they were deciding what the Torah means. They were looking either at themselves or up above, not looking at the other. The other, the other, the Ben Adam the Chaverod, the Bet Hillel approach. The way the Gemara describes after the Ezra generation, you needed Hillel to restore the Torah. The way the Gemara describes why we follow Bet Hillel as opposed to Bet Chama'i. That's what was lost in that time period. The Torah made its way back into the heavens, so to speak. It became stagnated. It became stuck. People couldn't be living with the Torah any longer. That's the time, of course, of the destruction, the second Bet HaMikdash. Think no further than that generation. A generation became complacent and stuck in their approach and ways to life. Galut, exile, was a necessary component of seeking the light which needs to be somehow found instead of being manifested as we had in Eretz Yisrael. In short, the understanding and direction that I have from this Midrash, which I think then reverberates through the words of the Chachamim throughout, is how life necessarily is lived with a healthy sense of forgetfulness. It means instead of getting stuck in a truth, the difficult circumstance and oftentimes rupture, which is handed our way, is to be seen not as a tragic circumstance, maybe in the moment it is, but as an opportunity for further growth. It's for that reason as well, I'll conclude with this, didn't expect to be going this way, but we talked about this Midrash last week, the Gemara Maseche Lamed, about the baby in the womb of the mother upon emanating into this world, forgets the Torah, the angel places his hand, slaps the mouth, and as a result, there's a forgetfulness. So we talked about it from one vantage point, but thinking now, instead of bemoaning, and mourning the birth of the child. We understand instead, had they emanated, had they come into this world, had each of us come into this world, knowing the entirety of the Torah, well, how would we then live a life of Torah? Torah would still be in the womb of our mother, better yet, the Torah would still be at Sinai, which as great as it sounds, with regards to our own lives, with regards to our lives of growth as human beings, in a real world, not in Eden, not at a time and period of Ma'amad Har Sinai, but a time and period in which we engage with other people, in which we're involved in a society, in which we need to find ourselves and growth and truth in a world that surrounds us, well, then only a Torah that's preceded by some forgetfulness, a healthy one within a structure of truth, is one which will be enduring true and eminent. Baruch Adonai ve'olam. Amen ve'amen.